Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome to Book Club. Hello. How's it going? Not bad, actually. We're in the office, which is a nice change. It's, no, it's nice to do this face-to-face, isn't it? Yeah, very much so, which is good. So I like it. It's good. Yeah, I'm happy with it as What's well. What's interesting so- is, are you going to start with the post that you put on LinkedIn? Oh, I think the first thing we should start with is the poll. Yeah, it's very interesting, I thought that. So after last week's episode, we did a, a poll on LinkedIn where we basically pointed out the fact that Tony Hughes said that 30% of salespeople will lose their jobs in the years to come. And his book, I think, validates that. When you read the book, I think, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the guy's been over the top. I agreed with him. Yeah, I think the book accurately validates that. 30% of people are going to lose their jobs in sales in the years to come. Which ones? Well, time will tell. So we put this poll on LinkedIn and quarter of a million people have viewed the poll. Yeah. You know, it's, it's had a little bit of traction. I think it had something like 400 comments and four and a half thousand people voted. The results of the poll were that 80%, bang on, 80% of people reckon that they'll be all right. Yeah, what was interesting about the comments about them being all right is they clearly think that they've got something that's non-replicable. But when you looked at their track record, you thought, well, actually... (laughs) You're clearly being replaced quite easily by another person. What was stunning was how many people think that their quote-unquote relationship building skills are what will keep them in the game. And what really stunned me, there was a couple of particular instances, quite a young lad, clearly a bright young thing starting out in his career, he really was emphatic that what made him great was his ability to be mates with his customers. It's interesting because I know we're getting a bit off, but it's on topic, isn't it? I was in an event last week with a client and there were a lot of salespeople there because they had a lot of clients there. Yeah. Um, They were good at building relationships with their clients and they were in this sort of after-party thing. It was like a set of holly oaks. I fitted in perfectly. And uh, I was stood with a pre-sales guy and some client, one of their clients from a mega company walked past and they fist pumped and all that because it's a really cool event. And uh, this pre-sales guy went, come on, do people buy the software because the salespeople or the software's any good? And he went, our gear's brilliant, mate. They can't get enough of it, these boys. Our gear. That's what he said, though. But, I mean, you know, it was that, it's that kind of company. But I got on the train and I, I read a bit more of this book and I thought to myself, they have got very good salespeople there, but their software's good. And I think there's a really interesting combination, Mike, which is notably the software couldn't be more current. Yes. What they do couldn't be more current. Yes. The people that work there, yeah, they're great relationship builders, but why are they great relationship builders? Well, one, they've got something really current to talk about. Correct. And two, they're unbelievably good at getting it. It's not because they're sat there going, oh, you like football, I like football. None of that. The reason the clients like them is because the salesman walks in and he completely gets it. Well, the conversation with this pre-sales went on and I said, why do they like the software so much? And he went, well, it makes them so much money. Yeah. I'd like any salesman that could make us money. No, well, it was a software that makes them money. Correct. The software makes the client money. But the salesman's immediately likable by association, isn't he? Yes. But, you know, you look at that and you think, roll on five years. Uh, Are we going to get to a point through automation where actually the best products are going to win and the salespeople become more redundant? You You look at Amazon. When you buy stuff on Amazon, you can sort it out by ranking. My elasticity level of what I will buy online goes up and up and up and up well, I'm buying every a new, year. I'm buying a new car next year. I'm not yeah. going to go to a garage. What's the point? The, the information's all on YouTube. As you know, my Tesla goes back in four weeks' time. I've got this ridiculous idea in my head that I'm going to drive my daughter's car for four weeks. Nice. So obviously by mid-February, I'll be ordering another Tesla, but I'll do it online. Yeah, you won't go into a shop. No, at And people are saying, yeah, but it's a car, Johnny. It's not that big a purchase. Go back 10, 15 years, a car was a massive purchase. It would have been unthinkable to buy a car. It was a massive purchase. And actually, that's just what's created that. Well, it's YouTube. It's the internet. It's just I've general information. I've got that information. much information. Correct. Uh, it was interesting. My mate actually asked me on Saturday. I was stunned. A human asked another human yes. their opinion on a product. He said, well, should I buy a Tesla? Right. 
we actually sat down and had a chat about it over a cup of coffee. Yeah, but he didn't see a sales rep though, did he? No, he asked his mate. He asked his mate who'd had one. And he actually said, one of the reasons I wanted to have a, a, a quick bucket of balls and a chat with you today was, I just want your opinion on your Tesla. Would you buy one? Would I buy another? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it'll be a tough decision if I have to make it. Fair enough. But that's a whole other conversation. But yes. Well, I'm not going to buy one. Purely because I find Tesla a very arrogant company. That's why I'm not going to buy one. And I didn't feel like, because over the four years I've owned the vehicle, I didn't feel like they've really cared for me as a customer. Actually, I thought, uh, the brilliant product, arrogant customer care. And that's a whole other point, isn't it? I think an AI can, will give you better customer care than the arrogance of people sat behind the brand. It's more subtle than that. I think what an AI would do better than a person is that AI would scour the internet for all of your communication history Correct. and figure out what kind of buyer type you are. And it might figure out my sentiment towards the car. Correct. Correct. It's, well, it's sentiment analysis of the next chapter. Well, prob- you'll, they'll probably put in your end user license agreement that they're allowed to listen to you. So when you get in the car and go, fuck's sake, it's not working. Yeah, yeah. Or, God, well, they'll, just, they'll just listen to one of your conversations with your wife and you'll Through drive phone, past, yeah. you'll drive past him and go, yeah, I don't like him. He's an arrogant so-and-so. And then Tesla will go, right, it doesn't like arrogance. Whereas a lot of people like arrogance, don't they? A lot of people are going to cruise around in the car and go, "Check, look at them checking me out in my car. And it'll be more yeah. uh, unique, won't and it? And people don't realise that that's where the AI is going. Yes, the correct. AI will, will, will listen to the sentiment that you've got in your Tesla. Yeah, correct. And they'll go, oh, we're all on it. Johnny's unhappy with his car. Before you know it, you'll get a phone call or you'll get an email. Hey, we understand you're unhappy with your car. What's wrong? Come and see us. Mm. And then you'll go and see somebody who really pretends they care. Yes. And that's nuts. So let's, I, I, where we got to last week was literally bang on. I'm on page 119 of 252 on the Kindle. I'm on page 122, but yeah, we're pretty close. So the, I, I, there's a really funny bit here, which I've highlighted, which is a, a page title called The Ethics of Data Sourcing. Okay. I thought we'd talk about that for a bit. The Ethics of Data Sourcing. So we talked a little bit about this when... And I know you sometimes get it, and I get it. You ring people up and they go, how did you get my phone number? When I get that now, I know that I'm talking to a prospect that I don't want to deal with. Yeah, I completely Because I think I they are living agree. in the dark ages. Yeah. If you have to tell somebody what Lucia or Zoom Info is, they're a dark ages yeah. prospect that you will not hire a salesperson that yeah. you want to place. Yeah, they've qualified themselves out as yeah. a client. My I'm just, ca- that, I'm just that not My in. candidates don't want to work for you. They for- won't want to work for you. Because what you've just told me is you've got a completely shit marketing infrastructure in one sentence. You don't know what Lucia is. right? You don't well, know what Lucia is. You some... don't know what Zoom Info is. You don't know what Seamless.ai is. You don't know where I've got this data from. Are you right in your head? Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I think that in itself, is, it's nuts, but that's a qualifier. Yeah, 100%. Completely for, agree. For us, you already know, oh, yeah, candidates aren't going to work for you. Yeah. And yeah. that's bonkers. Um, uh, the whole thing about the ethics of data sourcing is interesting anyway. One, Lucia's pretty legit data. Two, I think a lot of people get very carried away with GDPR. I think we did talk about this a little bit last yes. week about the, uh, the unf- uh, what they call fair use. Yes. And a lot of people don't realise just how liberal that fair use clause is. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because my spammy emails haven't fallen since GDPR. No. Well, then I've not done anything about it. I've not gone, oh, GDPR. I've just gone delete. <laughs> I used to use an email client that was fabulous called Airmail. Right. But they started charging a lot of money for it. I binned it and went back to Outlook. And Outlook, to be fair, Microsoft have put a lot of the features that were in Airmail that I loved into Outlook. And one of the best bits of Airmail was there was a button, one push on every email, unsubscribe. But what it actually did was it ran some kind of script that would find the unsubscribe link, link it, do it, and actually unsubscribe you from the email rather than just block it as spam, which was really neat. But my point is, you're getting all this email through GDPR. No, no, nobody cares anymore. I don't think so. The only people who care are the people who are scared of actually taking action. And the only people who scare are pedantic idiots. So a mate of mine, he's a really good mate. I reference him a bit. I actually don't know what his job title is or who he works for. But he's something really senior in the NHS. You, you, you'll you know him. that he's a, he's a GDPR officer in the NHS. Right. Big guy that used to work for another company that I used to box with. Right. Uh, and I was talking to him about it, and I said, how uptight are people getting about it? He said, Mike, what, what's happening is hardly anybody's getting uptight about it, but we have to be careful for that half of 1%. And it's yes. the half of 1%, isn't it? The pedantic. And it may be it's easy for us because of the industry we operate in. Yeah, we're in. salespeople, so we don't care. As we're well. salespeople. We're selling to other salespeople. Most of them get it. 
I'm and the it. ones that don't, again, have qualified themselves out. Yeah, exactly. You'll stop spamming me. Right, okay, yeah. Whatever, mate. <laughs> Whatever, mate. What are you, you going to do? Be frightened of sending a, a, an unlisted email? Well, so just on that, it's a slight adjunct to that, but it always surprises me on the in LinkedIn where people opt out of in-mails. I just think what an arrogant thing to do. Oh, I'm too important to receive an in-mail from somebody I don't know. Oh, shut up. I, I, I do often not get that. <laughs> Why would you do that? Well, it's the arrogance... It's misplaced arrogance of... Of self-importance. I'm going to be in this job for the next 20 years. Just, well, it's not just they're not getting in-mails from recruiters. They're not getting in-mails from prospects either. They're not getting in-mails from anyone. I know. Anyway. <laughs> so at start... So chapter eight, I don't know what chapter you're on, is working your systems. And then... Which is reply management and sentiment analysis. I'm on social signals to influence calling. Oh, yeah? What chapter are you on? One Page 124 of 252. Chapter eight, working your systems. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're on the same page, actually. Um, we have been since we met, Michael. <laughs> Good, Johnny. But what this is, I like this. It's talking about getting replies and getting through to people that are, ne- yeah. that are, that are negative or positive. Um, and I'm going to write a post on this, actually. One of my issues with email automation and actually replying sometimes to automated responses is you, you just end up in a loop. And What do you mean? Let's say you send me an automated email of some kind. If I reply positively, I'm in a loop of some kind. If I reply negatively, I'm in a loop of some kind. If I don't reply at all, I'm not. I think it's easier to ignore the automated email than it is actually to reply Well, it, either way. There's also a point which is, if I'm clever, I know that by replying I'm triggering something. Yeah, that's why I don't. I also know that if I'm clever and I'm clued up, I know that if I click on a link, I'm triggering something else. Correct. I'm, I'm telling the AI or I'm telling the automation system Correct. that, well, as Tony Hughes calls it in the book, proof of life. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. And what Tony, he talks a lot about is finding proof of life. Yes. Uh, and using your system. to I was going to say, but that, I don't like that personally, and I pretend well, I'm I, dead. I, I've got outreach set up to trigger a creation of a task when somebody reads an email more than four times. Now, actually, it's generated me a few candidates. Okay. And, you know, one of the projects Alex and I are going to talk about in the next few days Mm. is extending that into marketing automation so that rather than actually triggering a task for a callback, what we'll do is it'll trigger another part of a new sequence, maybe even trigger an ad, which is what he's talking about here is, so I send you an email, I'm pushing a job, you watch the video three times, but don't apply. Let's get it right. You're thinking about applying if you've watched it three times. Yes, you are. You've given me proof of life, but rather than me just pouncing on you, which I think is a little bit intrusive, what I do is I just give you another gentle nudge through the interweb. I fire you an ad, maybe an email, maybe an automated SMS. And that's where the tech really comes in. It is. I think it takes... Because it's capturing that X percentage of what could have converted. Yes, and I'm, I'm for this, and I'm for the book, I must say. You know I am. But... That notwithstanding, I have had the best results I've had from picking up the phone. What, even on candidate generation? Uh, I don't pick up the phone on candidate generation purely because I have time. No, but on client generation, the best results. If it was on candidate generation. I'll tell you now, Mike, today I am going to write a list by hand with a pen and paper to make my canvas calls. Yes. Here's an interesting one on page 124. It said, if someone comments on a status update and they are relevant, call and sequence them. If someone views your profile, send a sequence to them. So you did a poll, I did a poll last week. They got similar numbers. <laughs> 400 comments. Yeah, yeah, mine got similar. I've not contacted any of them. No. Which is criminal, really. And, uh, it's a criminal thing to do that. I read Daniel Disney's book on LinkedIn the other day. Any good? Atrocious. Right, okay. Uh, I actually, I think, threw it across the living room. He's a big through. star on LinkedIn, that guy. Yeah, I thought it was atrocious and patronising and dreadful. I read but Brandon Bernanchin's. Is it Brandon Bernanchin's? Bernan- yeah, I know, I know the name. That was absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah. It was just, I, I like thought it was just like a con. But he does make an interesting point, Daniel Disney. The, the one little takeaway I got, we, we always get a takeaway out of a book, don't we? The takeaway I got out of the book was, uh, people are looking at your LinkedIn profile. Why? And he said, some people are looking at your LinkedIn profile because they're shopping. Yes. They're searching, they're finding you, then they're looking at your profile. That, that, that's the better thing to look on LinkedIn, where you appeared in a search. Yes. So what I have done recently is I'm keeping a little soft list of 
people that look like decision makers who've looked at my profile and adding them to my call you, list. You, you see, I just... I but I'm not sequencing. I, I haven't had time to do that, actually, and I haven't my, done that. Because my view is, I might as well ring them because they're warmer calls than people who've never seen me or heard of me. But am I really going to convert at that greater level? No. All I'm going to get is a slightly but you easier see the re- opening to my but the, but you see, the real problem with that is you can't automate it well enough. No. Nope. If there was a bit of software that took the 400 people that had replied... There is. You can do that. With, you can do it with Linked Helper. Okay, do it with Linked Helper. I but, thought it was illegal or something. Well, what's interesting is he doesn't mention much about LinkedIn automation in the book. Is that because it's so hard to automate, though? No, I think it's because he's nervous about recommending any of the LinkedIn automation apps because, in reality, LinkedIn have no approval level whatsoever of any form of automation. Well, Linked Helper, I mean, I got into trouble. Do you trouble. remember when we first had it? I, I set mine up on something like a thousand connections a day or something <laughs> and got banned from LinkedIn. I can't remember exactly but the, what happened. But when we were, I mean, we, we were using Linked Helper, what, six years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember at one point going from about 400 contacts to about 15,000 connections yeah, yeah, yeah. overnight. Yeah, yeah. We literally, we just left it on all day, didn't we? I left it on, yeah, I had two computers. Yeah. We I, li- I used to go into my home office and nudge the mouse every half an hour so it didn't go to sleep. <laughs> so here's one for you. So he goes on to stunts to set up meetings. Yeah. Which is page 125. Yeah. I didn't even bother reading this because I thought Stu Heineke's book covered that so much better. Yeah. But I'll tell you what is interesting about this is he's sort of kind of talking about sentiment and trigger events, isn't he? Yes. And and I do think, you know, we've, we've got a meeting on Wednesday where we're going to talk about different forms of client yeah, yeah. automation. I'm sure on Wednesday we're going to talk about, do you reckon some of this trigger event stuff might work for us? I, I think it will. I Whether thought- we end up investing in it or not, at the end of the day, I don't know. But I know we'll talk about it come Wednesday because I do think it's an interesting topic. I think if I was in the right product environment, having some kind of market monitoring event trigger management software that's a no-brainer for me. Well, what do the security I, guys do? They must be doing that all the time. Oh, I was using a, an app I tried the other day called Lavender.ai, which helps you write emails. Yeah, he talks about it. Alex and I have been using it. It's mental. Right. It is nuts. Okay. Actually. And it tells you, for each prospect, how they're going to receive your email. It tells you how to shorten it, lengthen it, how to change the wording of it. But then what it also does is it tells you what their tech stack is. How? So, like, I'm looking at this prospect the other day, and it's like, yeah, he uses HubSpot, such and such and such and such in his tech stack. Cool. Now, that's nuts, because surely, if I'm a smart salesman, that kind of technology, and you can get better than that, can't you? You I know, in the know. old, I remember in the old days, a smart salesman would keep a spreadsheet of every prospect in his territory mm. and when the renewal date for their software was. Yes, I completely, yeah. Now, there's an AI doing that. That's cool, isn't it? There's going to be an AI doing that, isn't there? Yeah, inevitably, yeah. There's going to be a way of using some kind of, and this is what he's talking about, there'll be an app where you can say, right, give me a list of everybody that's coming up to... End of, uh, end of Salesforce license. Uh, correct. Yeah, a- anybody yeah. that's renewing their Salesforce license this year that's in the CPG market. Yes. Now, that's mental. Yes, it's good information, that. And that's worth, you know, you'd spend good money on that. Now, I don't think that kind of kit will be that relevant for us in recruitment because we'd be too behind the eight ball with it, wouldn't we? Oh, so-and-so, so-and-so's moved jobs. Uh-uh, you're too late. Yes, that's very true. What what I, I think you could set up from a trigger event, though, the trigger event for me, particularly in the Series A clients, is they've just got a new CFO. If they just get a new CFO that's and they've got Series A, that's because they're going to try and get Series B. Correct. There's growth, isn't there? It's not actually the hiring of an MD or a sales director for me. It's the hiring of the CFO. Yeah, well, he mentions this guy here. Craig Elias focuses on three types of trigger events. Awareness, bad supplier, and job changes. He says, the vast majority of outreach or sales loft sequences are awareness messages or specious ROI claims, such as drive revenue by 2 3 4%. Prospects are immune to such claims, and no matter how much awareness and education laced with excitement you blast, you will not move the market this way. But actually, the trigger event, that's going to work, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm up to page 129. I'm 131. What have you got there on 131? Nothing really. I was scrolling through it. I've not taken any notes for some reason on that for ages. I'll tell you the other thing that's really interesting. We were talking about how LinkedIn's becoming a bit of a cesspool last week. He's talking a lot about how he reckons private business-to-business Slack channels are going to be the thing. Um, I kind of get that. 
I think that people are going to move their conversation off LinkedIn. I don't think anybody really has a conversation on LinkedIn, do they? Well, nobody uses LinkedIn groups now, do they? No. LinkedIn groups are dead because the groups are just, they're not groups. It's no, not they're, like just, I'm, they're just set up by recruitment consultants or salesmen. Yeah, it's not like I'm a member of the MPC Live Users Group, right, on Facebook, where if I had a problem with my MPC, I could go on the group. What's an MPC? It's a mobile production control. It's a, mu- a bit of music kit. Right. If I was struggling to do something on my MPC, I could go on tomorrow or tonight. I could say, guys, how the hell do I do this? Within about two minutes, somebody on the group would have gone, Johnny, no problem. If you want, I'll get on a video. Literally, it's that friendly a group. And there are top, top quality music producers on that group. Guys who earn a living producing music. Right, that's cool. Right? Guys who've got like gold records, Grammys. It's bonkers, that group. It's literally like high-end rappers are on that group. So, right? I bet you're fitting nicely there. Yeah, like this little white guy from North Leeds. But yeah, it's a really cool, really friendly group, right? There are no groups like that on LinkedIn now. Not that we're members of. No. And I think he's right. I think people will move into things like private Slack channels, Discord channels, where it will become very tight-knit, close community groups. And actually, there's a real leadership opportunity here. Can you remember that fellow Jeff Shepard who did the Yorkshire Mafia? Yeah, yeah. I think there's an opportunity to create a new Yorkshire Mafia. Right. I'm sure you're right. I hadn't really considered it. I look at it from my own personal perspective with my own clients, and I've got a couple of clients that are absolute just hiring like lunatics at the minute. And I just as you were talking, then I was thinking, maybe I should set up a Teams channel with them. Yeah. Well, actually, Microsoft announced last week that you will be able to create Teams channels with outside. They've really improved the ability to create Teams channels with your clients. I should do that with them, shouldn't I? Because there's, yeah, I'm going to out. meet them next week, I think, or the week after. I can't remember. And there's about nine hiring managers there and an internal recruiter. I'm going to put a little stall up in the corner with a banner. I'm not actually, but I think that would be a good Teams channel for me to have with them, wouldn't it? And then if I created a good Teams channel for me and them, then God help another recruiter trying to deal with them. Correct. No chance. So you create almost like little communities of your own. Yeah, yeah. But I think the communities are going to leave LinkedIn. Well, this is a separate conversation about LinkedIn being dead in the cesspool and blah, blah, blah. I just think LinkedIn isn't necessarily a place where... I think if you're a salesperson and you spend all day on LinkedIn, you're going to get fired for missing your target. Yeah, you know, Alex is stood here shooting content. I've got to say, I'm delighted Alex is here because I'm now spending less time on LinkedIn. I never spent that much time on it anyway, really. Yeah, it's great to not... 20, 20 minutes a day. It's just all-consuming. It is, and you can eat, so easily lose time doing it. And then he's talking about technographic, psychographic breakdowns. Um, yeah, I thought this was good, actually. Go on. So he talks about total addressable market and knowing your ICP, but I, I think it's a wider comment, this, that you've really got to focus on a particular addressable market in a very careful way. So as an example... One of the markets that I work in is the AI market. And I actually think, oh, the AI market's massive. But actually, every single company now calls themselves an AI company. Everybody's an AI company. Well, the not, geese are selling bananas down the street. It's they're... bananas.ai. Yeah. And, and actually, but does this model of, you know, we were joking about people not knowing where the Lucian number came from. He's right. He's talking about the ideal customer profile in terms of firmographics, technographics, psychographics and and he's right you've got to approach and canvas and cover clients that fit fit your mold otherwise you're never going to win what he's saying though is that you can now you buy technology well i'm on that page yeah what page you on page 133 what technology do they use analyze your customer base and identify common technical attributes and tensile signs of a probability for successful sales campaign to win them now what he's saying is you can now buy kit Software gear, it's called in the IT market. You can buy well, gear. in Manchester, it's called gear. <laughs> yeah, um, it, you can now buy kit where you can say to the kit, Listen, I want you to find me companies that fit this ideal customer profile. Yes, in the old days, that took serious amounts of time, took people, oh, took yeah. research, bodies. And this is about the automation thousands of, thousands of pounds worth of bodies. This is about the automation of the sales, and I think that's what people didn't get in the post that you put on. Is it's not necessarily just talking about. Bill, who sits with Barclays trying to sell him CRM, it's talking about the whole sales floor that had people researching. Hold on a minute. We used to have people whose job it was to ring candidates and say, hello, my name is, Correct. are you currently thinking of finding a new role? Correct. And we used to pay them a salary of £25,000 a year. Correct. We replaced that job with machines. 
Well, you look at the big recruiter that's based near where I am. They've got a headcount of 250. 60% of that is support. Yeah. But the reality is when they wise up, they'll realise they don't need those support people. Correct. Those 60% are support people. Probably 60% of those Yeah, and if you met them in the public and ask them what the job is, they say they were recruiters. Yeah. But they're not actually. They're sort no, of all they're doing is researching, capacity. finding ideal clients, finding ideal candidates. Don't need to Adding do them to a list, sending them an email. There's kit that can do that now. Yeah, yeah. There's gear that can do that. Gear. Like that. Yes. Very Manchester. Right. So what did you make of this psychographics thing? So psychographics explain how the leadership in an organisation thinks, feels and acts. Psychographics provide insights into what they value and what motivates them to buy. I thought this was pretty interesting. I mean, actually. it's amazing. If you can get technology that can do that. Yeah. What I would say is I think some of this stuff is a bit moonshotty. Um, yes, maybe. And you know me, I'll try all of it. And what you tend to find is some of it, you look at it and think, oh, a couple of years from now, that'll be amazing. Yes, it will. Yes. Completely agree. And I've tried certain things like that. Why wouldn't you? You know, I, I know if I could come to you and say, Mike, <laughs> I've just found this app online, mate. It just gives you uh, a list of people who are thinking about hiring. Yes. All right, Johnny, how much is it? Oh, it's £2,000 a month. Yeah, but that's his point. You can. Yeah. If you, it's £2,000 broke- a month. You'd say, well, how many, how many, how many list, names do we get on the list? Oh, we get a couple of hundred a month. Right, Johnny, it's well, a no-brainer. Saying, can you, with, with, with insight, you know, people do things before they hire. Of course they do. They just do stuff. They, they go on a buying journey. You know, when somebody gets a new ATS, you know, the online applicant tracking system, why have they done that? It's because they anticipate hiring a volume of people. Correct. That's a buying signal. It's an, it's yeah. that in a well set up system is a trigger event, isn't it? Yeah, of course well, it is. Yeah. So and so, so and so have just invested in Green Bean ATS or whatever it's called. Whichever one it is, it does my nutting having to upload CVs to it. That notwithstanding, if somebody's buying an ATS, yes, they are anticipating hiring volume. And he's saying through this, you can do that. You can find out what tech stacks people have got. Yeah. And in every market, there will be a precipitating trigger prior to the trigger event itself, prior to the purchase. Well, the salespeople listen to this, they know what it is. Of course they do. They, they know what the trigger event they, they is know prior what, to their... They know what their trigger events are, don't they? Of course they, they do. Course you know, they if do. you're selling, I don't know, a cloud-based... Yeah, if you're saying cloud hosting, I know uh, AWS don't like it being called that, but big servers in a room where you store people's stuff. <laughs> big servers in somebody else's room where, yeah, you yeah, store, yeah. where you put your apps, yeah. There's something that precipitates the purchase of that. Something happens before... You know, like the 69-year-old IT director gets fired and they hire a 24-year-old. Well, they, they start disposing of servers on site. All that kind of stuff. That's the reality, isn't it? Oh, right, we've got all this kit on site. Let's just put it mm. on the used market. Mm-mm. That's be, a trigger. Yes, or there'll be some trigger event about Windows maintenance going down on Windows moves. 95 or office moves or yeah. all of that stuff, won't there? They're There's all loads. Trigger events. Um, I, do, I do think, though, however, that it, one of my issues with this book is it's quite overwhelming. He uses the phrase, doesn't he, drinking from the fire hose? I don't know, does yeah, he? Yeah, somewhere in the book he talks about, I know I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to drink from the fire hose here. It's very overwhelming, that, isn't it? I, I think, actually, the, the rise of people in charge of marketing automation technology as a full-time job is unsurprising, given this technology stack. Yeah, and he does say that. He says that what we're going to get... What was interesting with the poll on LinkedIn the other day was a few people did say, well, these jobs will be displaced into other jobs. And mm. some will. Well, I think a lot of them will. Some will. You know, people said to me, well, if we're all going to lose our jobs, what's, what does the salesman of the future look like? And I said, the salesman of the future is part developer, part SDR. I said, he's incredibly insightful and is almost uh, part low-code software developer. And what people didn't quite get is that we're all going to have to actually change our skill sets quite a bit to survive. Yes, we are, yeah. And that the, those of us that will last will have very different skill sets the skill sets that we think are valuable and have got us to where we are will not even really be table stakes to be in the industry. The table stakes will be, could you write, build me an app in low code? Yes. Do you understand marketing really, really, really well and marketing automation? Yes. Do you understand how the AIs work and where it's working? Yes. All right, now we can talk about whether you could be a salesman for us. Mm-hmm. I, well, as we said last week, and I've said a few times, I think clients should be interviewing against this. Yeah, I think against if- people's t- TQ. The problem is, Mike, I'd be quite, I'd be careful with how loudly you advise that because I don't think we'd place anybody. Um, no, I- but I, I don't agree with that, actually. I think part of the interview process is to understand where someone's weaknesses are 
so that when they start with you, you know what you need to help them with. I actually think the interview process is fundamentally wrong in a lot of respects. I think if I was, if a client came to me and said, I'm thinking of hiring a sales leader, what should I do? I'd say the first question you should be asking is, walk me through how to build a sales tech stack. Uh, yes, I agree with that. You know, I know a company at the moment that have hired a sales leader. There's no way he'd know how to do that. But he's going to get eaten up, isn't he, by a 27-year-old? He's going to get eaten alive, yeah. He actually is. And that's what people, are, I don't think, are getting is that, you know... So and my- it's hard to stay with it as you get older. I'm 15 December, and I'm really, really on it with tech. But it's not as easy as it was 10 years ago. You know, some, some nerd behind a computer screen is just going to come and blast everybody, aren't they? That's the reality. So, like, my daughter's 12, she's 13 this month. Inevitably, she's going to end up a salesperson. She says she's not, but 100%, that's where she's going. So you think about that when she's 25 and she's competing against somebody who's, somebody who's 40 now. 12 well, years from now, she's 52. she's 25, I'm going to be 62. She'll just nail you. She'll kill me. It'll just be horrible. She'll kill everybody over 40. Yeah. Because she's bright, she's, she sort of gets it, and she'll, she learns things very quickly. And I don't think it'll be this, the things that kill, kill these sales guys. You know, when I first came into sales, the sales guys that faded were faggy and fat. Yes. That yes. won't be what sees you off now. No, it won't. Faggy and fat is not the end. Actually, what we'll see these people off will be not being absolutely all over what's going on in a technological arms race that is accelerating at a rate that's doubling every six months. And and what's interesting, I do agree with you, what's interesting about that is I can already see the LinkedIn comments which are going to be, yeah, but it's not like that. I work for a big ERP company that starts with an S and my sales are much more strategic than that. Yeah, whatever. Forget Shut it. up. Shut up. Forget Go it. Because I tell you what, because Honey Price is going to sit there. She's going to have no ERP experience or maybe a year. And when she sits down and plans, she's going to go, right, I'm just going to load up all my Insight software to find out the Insight. I'm going to re- really work out what the buyer personas are. I'm going to work out what all the technology stacks are. So I might just be a 25-year-old, wet behind the ears, never sold but anything. But I'm just going to generate that much activity in comparison have, to you. Not even that. In that sales meeting, I'm going to have so much more information than you. And it's going to be firing up into my augmented reality glasses. And when you turn around and start talking about X, I'm just going to get a feed into my AR glasses that tell me what to say. Yeah, I'm going to have so much more information and power than I you. Because I set my AI up to tell me how to react to things. So to, t- to say something nobody ever says actually in sales, but I really think that clients want to buy from the seller who has the most insight. Yeah, that, I think that will be one of the only survival leverage points that today's current salespeople will have. Yes, I mean, you were, you were talking about cars at the start of the show, right? I think that you don't know much about cars, really, politely. No, no. It's not like me to admit that I'm wrong, and it's not like me to admit that you know more about something than me, but I know bugger all about exactly. cars. Exactly. So the, per- the person who would sell the car to you would be the person who could provide you with the most insight. Yeah, correct. If they turned around to you and said, so Johnny... Um, It'll be some- in my instance, it will be somebody who can explain to me how I can charge a car that's not a Tesla on the road. Correct. I can't bend my head around that. Cause correct. Because no- I'm like, well, hold on a minute. If I get an iPace, where do I charge it on the road? Yes, correct. I can't bend my head around. Or if somebody has enough insights that they've gathered from somewhere yeah. for you, they go, well, I'll tell you what, I don't think you really need that bigger car because I know your golf clubs will fit in this one. Correct. Somebody who's smart enough. And you'll go, oh, yes, right, I'm in. But the car salesman of the future, when I turn up at that showroom, will know I play golf. Correct. He'll know where I play golf, correct. how often I play golf, and he'll just turn around to me in the conversation and go, mate, you're only going to the golf club a couple of times a week. So yeah. You only actually need that much boot space, don't you? Yeah, and you'll say, and I know you go to town once a week. And, uh, you well, go to well, town on a Monday to meet and, and actually, the, And actually, the NCP's a bit tight. So really, why would you want that bigger car? This one fits in the NCP and your golf clubs fit in the back. And I'll go, oh, right. Right, yeah. Okay, where uh, do I sign? Yeah. Shut up and take my money. And to take that yeah. into the realm of like ERP sales as an example. Correct. And it's not and, hard insight to find. It's out there, isn't it? It's not hard. You know, in the same way, that I got advertised last night in Instagram for a gym that's near my house called The Bunker, where they're specialising in training golfers. That's good advertising. It's a specialist gym for golfers doing functional strength training. When, no, do, you, I don't when, need to when go. do you join? I don't need to go because I've good. got an unbelievable gym in my own house. But the reality is, how good an advert is that? Great. Chapter nine, powering up. 
outsourced SDR consultancies. What do you reckon? We've tried this, didn't we, once? Uh, what do I reckon? So generally speaking, what amazes me is actually how much the outsourced SDR market is worth. What do you reckon it's worth? I, I know from what you've said that there's a lady lives on your street and that's what she owns. Yeah. I'll tell you, she is good. I reckon they've just spent 300 grand on their extension. That's my point. So but, they, but- they both drive Range Rovers, her and her husband. The kids are both registered for private schools. She's got a small outsourced SDR agency. Small, yeah. It's not like it's a big, big do, but she is making serious money. So then when we talk about powering up. Yeah. So people do it, but why do you think people do it? I think people do it because they abdicate out of fear. I think they do it because they can't recruit them. They can't recruit the SDRs themselves. They abdicate out of fear. Particularly, I think that, that industry will grow because people will abdicate out of fear the concept of building a tech stack, automating a tech stack. People are going to look at this as a concept and think, let's just outsource I, I, I think, that shit. I mean, I'm guessing, we're obviously guessing here. I think actually what will happen is somebody will get all this technology and they'll use it with an outsourced team in the Philippines. You know you can hire Philippines workers so easily. Or in India or in a Colombia. I think particular, yeah. particularly the Philippines because they've got that slightly Australian accent. Yeah, you've got to pay more for the ones that have got Australian accents. Yeah, but not as much as some entitled 23-year-old based in London. Well, no, the entitled 23-year-old, if he's not up for it, is done. I completely agree. Well, what about this, though? What about if you used all this? Because we have Philippine uh, workers who work for us. And the one thing that they really struggle with is just the context of the UK. Whilst- but yeah, I'll give them context. Correct. You can give them context now. You know, Joe, Mark, I mean, Mark's English is absolutely excellent. Yeah. It's super. Oh, you, you can full on banter with them. A few of them, you can't quite banter with them, can you? Because no, they're, but- they're, they're, they're clearly translating what you've said into Tagalog and then trying to understand the humour of what you've just said in their own language. But, but, but with that- Mark, as a good example, he immediately, he, you can do full banter with Mark at any given point in time. Yeah, because English is so good. Yeah. So imagine if you took a Mark yeah. and you gave him all this gear. Fine. I, I mean, how, why would you ever employ anybody in England? Save a little bit of personal ebullience and confidence, he'd be fine. But, but if you've got so much insight, you don't need it. Because if the opening to your call is so insightful and accurate... You can be a stumbly, mumbly nothing. Correct. doesn't matter what, it doesn't... Correct. Just, you don't, you actually, because and that, we made a point last week about how hard it is to find SDRs. Actually, it's going to get easier because you won't need as, you won't be in what you and I have often referred to over the years as the talent trap. You just won't do it. I, I think you'll have it outsourced and overseas. And that little bit of context they miss for the individual countries will be supplied to them with insight and with a little bit of call scripting and with a little bit of objection well, handling. Well, you could use something like Gong little, to do the call scripting. A little bit, little bit of sentiment analysis. This is going a bit west. Say that. Mark could just do it. Yeah, fine. This is, and he'd just say it. So I thought this was interesting about the outsourced Maybe SDR Maybe we need to start an outsourced SDR consultancy. I think you could definitely do it with the right tech. Yeah. And, you know, your lady that lives up the street with a two Range Rovers just set up a business that allows you to buy one Range Rover. Yeah. You've undercut her. You've got a better service. Very easy to hire people overseas. You know yeah. it is. It's really easy. What's, think- it, what's interesting, actually, on that subject, I was looking at price of WeWork in Manila. How much is WeWork in Manila? A whole floor in the best building. Go on. $500 a month. Never. For a whole floor in the best building. Let's go. Well, that's my point, though, isn't it? Obviously, the workers are cheaper over there. Yeah. There's loads more of them. You know, we can recruit Filipinos easily, constantly. If we wanted another one tomorrow, we wouldn't be like, oh God, this is, go- oh God, how are we going to Well, find we one? could recruit another person from the Philippines by the end of the week. Yes. Easily. Who was we could easily four belters, couldn't we? Easily good enough. Yeah. Bright intelligent. Joe Villanueva's got three degrees. <laughs> she got three university degrees. Yeah. I asked us to do a little project for me. I just couldn't figure it out. He's really bright. He's got some really bright. And, and I said, can you figure this out for me, Joe? She went, yep, fine. Create a Miro. It was like 20 times better than the YouTube video I'd been watching. But that's my point. So what about if you took all this gear in this book, whacked it into there, that's how you should do SDR. I've been saying this to loads of clients that are recruiting SDRs. Just, you're doing it wrong. Don't recruit them in the UK. Get a tech stack and get, hire them in the Philippines. Without any doubt, yeah. It's the first thing I'd You'd do. You pay more for them than we're paying because you, you want the ones that are a bit better spoken and a little bit more articulate and a little bit better. Well, we interviewed that guy. But you're still only paying 30% of what who, you'd be paying yeah, in the UK. Yeah, but who was that guy we had working for his GMAR? Oh, he was outstanding. I mean, if he canvassed you this afternoon, 
You would just you think want, he was. You, a, you wouldn't know he was calling from the Philippines. He was slick. He was quick. He was sharp. Sparky. Little bit arrogant. Had a bit of a swagger to him, didn't he? Yeah, I, he'd make two hundred calls a day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, without fail. Whereas Absolutely. if you said to an English graduate, "Listen, mate, you need to make two hundred calls today. Two hundred dials. That's it, and all about it." I think they'd run a mile now. You wouldn't be able to hire them, I don't think. No, not in this current job market. Nope, you wouldn't be able to hire them. So entitled. Entitled. That's exactly what they are. TQ takeaway. You cannot outsource a mess and hope for the external party to magically solve your problem. Do the hard work with ICP, buyer personas, TAM and messaging before talking to an agency and then challenge them to add value and prove they can deliver results. I think that's a really valid point. My other question is, do you really know anybody who has truly successfully outsourced at the top of the funnel? I don't know either. No. I'd be interested I've to know. I've spoke to lots of sales leaders about this for a long time. No, never spoke to anybody in 21 years that's done it. Who would turn around and say, yeah, we outsourced top of the funnel activity to an agency. And wow, what a procurement that was. I, th- I mean, we're on, we're on a slightly separate subject here, but I think one of the problems you have with SDR is that you want a relatively inexperienced person to capture a conversation with a C-level exec. Well, in certain instances, yeah. In most. Yeah, only really know, not everything is bought at sea level, is it? No, I was going to say, the only place it works is in low order value stuff. Yeah. And that's the argument a lot of people made on that LinkedIn poll, which is, at some point, somebody with Gravitas has got to talk with somebody with Gravitas. I don't believe that's the case, actually. I think if it was me and I was an IT salesperson, I would try and get out of commodity, because that's where you're going to be stuffed. Yeah. Well, security was, what software. Was interesting security was, software, forget it. Forget what it. What was interesting was how violent the reaction was mm. from a lot of the people who sold quite commodity solutions. Yes. One of whom was a security guy who was rude and aggressive in his response to my LinkedIn it's, post. It's defensive, isn't it? Yeah, because subconsciously he knows I don't really add that much value to the sale. I just sell endpoint security. I, I sell a bit of kit with flashing lights on it. Yeah, correct. Um, actually, it doesn't really need a guy in his car to come and sell it. The punter knows more about it than me. Mm. Which is reality, isn't it? And then he talks about multi-threading and combo prospecting, of which we're big fans, aren't we, Pricey? Well, yes, yes. In his previous book, if you've not read it, Combo Prospecting is an absolute beaut. Yes. To the well, people listening. I, I, I will be chucking triples and, and have been in the last few weeks. That's it and all about it. It works. People respond. Good. Oh, and then what else have we got here that's really interesting? Uh, highlighted a He does uh, talk about outsourcing to offshore VAs, doesn't he? He does, yes, very much so. And he talks about scheduling, scheduling software. What do you think? I notice a few posts on LinkedIn, people talking about scheduling software. Don't put your scheduling link in your in-mail. Uh, what do I think? I use it all the time. No, I use it all the time. If you don't want to use it, that's fine. Well, I've got three appointments in my diary that were scheduled using Calendly this morning. Yeah, I mean... One, yeah. of, wh- one of which is with the CEO. He seemed all right with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I use it constantly. I, I'm at that point, you know, where I just think, if you don't want to play my game, whatever, it's not a bad game. It's not like I'm being mean, I'm giving you access to my diary. Yeah, at a time that suits you. Yes. Here's my diary, put a call in we'll so- and we'll talk. If you don't want to do that, whatever. You know, normally there's a precursor. Do you want to have a chat? Yeah, Oh, great. yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like to have a talk to you. Brilliant. Okay, here's my diary, put something in. What again surprised me is so many people actually haven't heard of it. So many people, oh, that's a, that's a smart bit of software, Mike. I mean, he, he mentions one here called x.ai which is fascinating because actually X.AI got sold. And fair play to the guy who built it. X.AI was the best of the lot. And they've sold the business um, to some conferencing and events company. And that was amazing, X.AI, because it was actually real AI. You could send an email CCing Amy at X.AI saying, hi, Amy, please could you organise a meeting for me and Mike? And then Amy would send an email to Mike saying, hi. I got it, yeah. I used to get it, yeah. Yeah. Very smart. So here's one for you, Johnny. Page, yeah, 148. And he's talking about outsourced VAs, actually. And he said, even if your oh, boss... Oh, I highlighted the same thing. Even if your boss won't pay for it, put your hand in your own pocket. Start behaving like you were running a territory franchise and think like a business person rather than a salaried sales rep. And in my notes, I wrote, too effing right, Tony. I can never believe that people moan that their boss won't pay for sales navigates when they're on 120k base and quarter of a million pound OTE. Completely agree. I'd be paying for all this sort of tech. <laughs> Me too. If I was on 120,000 pound base, I'd just think... Yeah, I'm going to have to spend 500 quid a month on tech. And hopefully, 
when I've proven the point that it was making me money, I can go to my boss and say, right, you owe me six grand. Yeah, but expense. if it's making you money, you don't care, any idea. No, but it, it, but the right thing to do, if you're making money and you can say, listen, I've invested in all this tech, I've invested it in myself, I'm running my own marketing campaigns using my own money, you owe me six grand in expenses, but I have won you £2 million worth of business, then if, your boss, pay, if, your, boss si- if your boss doesn't sign off the Xs, you know where you stand with the guy, don't you? Yeah, correct. They, they're going to pay, aren't they? I think there's actually, I was talking to one of my clients but it about is, this. It's beyond, people won't do that. Oh, well, I can't get the data. Buy it. Completely agree. Buy it. Seamless.ai is eight. We don't even have a CRM system. Buy one. I think I, we use one for free. But yeah, buy one. Pipe drives 45 quid a month, dickhead. Yeah. It, it drives when <laughs> they don't even have a CRM system. It's all on spreadsheets. I'm so frustrated with it. Well, buy your own. Yeah, but you can't say that in the current market, can you? No. Oh, gosh, no, Mr. Candidate. They're a terrible employer. But it's oh, so you're on, you're on scheduling, yeah, so we've gone past that. What else we got? Neighbourhood techniques. Be the EA of your own CEO by calling and emailing the executive assistants of a targeted list. Ask if they can find 30 minutes. I didn't like that. What is it about the Americans and Australians that do that? He calls it the ghost driver. So he talks about asking for access to your CEO's LinkedIn profile. I do think that's a good idea. Do you think so? Yeah, yeah, I would do that. Yeah. And then just using his LinkedIn profile to do the canvassing. One of the guys I was on Thursday, he does that. Does he? Yeah. So well, fair play. I, I sort of just thought. So he is mate. Thought, so, so, yeah, that, that's my ego, though. So the pre-sales guy I was talking to, his mates with that sales guy, and uh, I said, and before I'd met the pre-sales guy, I said, "How well do you get on with him?" He said, "I, I, I use his LinkedIn profile." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because he's, he's ex-retail actually, and he's connected to some really cool people." He said, "So I just use his profile." Send out a load of emails. When he responds, I introduce myself using him. Right. And I thought that's smart, actually. Listen, it's whatever works. Well, well he's the most successful salesperson there. That's um, it and all about it. Whatever works. He goes on here, hunting big game takes courage and an extremely sharp spear. In sales, you need a willingness to walk away and exhibit gravitas in how you carry the conversation. I don't necessarily think walking away exhibits gravitas, but I do think... What's interesting is, irrespective of the age of the book, actually the ability to walk away from a prospect is a very powerful thing to do. Yes, couldn't agree more. Well, you and I talked about a prospect last week who's been promising me a job spec for a couple of occasions and has failed to show up to two books. Oh, yeah, yeah. Conversations, and you said, well, you'll take a spec off him in the end. I will not. He has to call me now. Oh, yes, that's what I meant. I he calls me now. Yes. That's it and all about it. He will what's, not what's get a phone call off. What's interesting is I've got a, a guy... But I, that takes epic strength. Uh, it doesn't to you or me, but if you and I had a consultant here today who had oh, a job... They'd be, oh, they'd be calling him every day. Yeah. But a lot of that's internal pressure, though, isn't it? Imagine that at Jacko's. I've got two book calls. To, uh, I've got a definite. Got a definite. Afternoon meeting. Where's definite? Oh, oh he, he didn't take the call. It was meant to speak to me at one o'clock, but he didn't call Right. Tomorrow, the definite's still on the board. Mike, what's happening with your definite? So they're ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And yeah, every Mike. time they ring, they weaken their position. Yeah, yeah. So so the next day, morning meeting, Mike, what's happening with your definite? Oh, I'm just not calling him. He's got to call me now. Correct. <laughs> can, you imagine? can you imagine saying that to your boss? But the reality is, I will not call that guy this week. No way. I would rather make 100 cold calls than call him once. Do you know one of my uh, clients, you know one of my favourite... And I know that by the end of the week, he'll ring me. Do you know one of my favourite clients? You know, you know what I mean. She interviewed somebody... And uh, she said, how do you get on with him? I said, to be honest, he's gone quiet on me. I didn't actually know he had a second interview with you today. He didn't tell me. She went, are you going to call him? I went, absolutely no chance at all. <laughs> she went, well, good for you, Mike. No, I don't blame you. She said, let's see how he gets on. If I need your help, I'll let you know. No, I'm not. But it's like, she's a salesperson. I'm offering her a service. She wasn't bothered by that. She's got it. Because she, she understands that she was if like, you oh, bring yeah. him, the whole thing's out of kilter. Correct. So building sequences, messaging meets cadence across channels. And what he's talking about here is, he says, page 160, Pricey. Thank you. There are three jarring realities about the linguistics of the very best outbound touch patterns. They lack formatting, are hyper short, and are very conversational. Now, I've been working on that, actually. It's interesting. You know, Alex is going to be working a lot on a lot of those things. They lack formatting, are hyper short, and are really conversational. It's very much antithetic to what most people think, isn't it? He says, strive for three to five sentences maximum in an email with a call to action as the third. 
use pattern interrupts and make sure what you say sticks out. Be novel in your word choice. Be assumptive without being arrogant. Make the personalization about the relevant pain rather than vanilla demographic, psychographic, or technographic information. Preview these on your friends' or colleagues' mobile devices. Remember, just like copywriting, the purpose of the first sentence is to get to the next. You usually only get the subject line and preview text on iPhone or Android, so structure accordingly for that limited view. It's really golden stuff, this iPhone. If you look, I highlighted exactly the same thing. Um, that Lavender.ai app's amazing for that, I have to say. He's, he, he does mention it. And I did think, wow, that's that's neat kit, that. Mm. Really well, getting neat. back to your point about the formatting of the email, I generally can't bring myself to write a badly formatted email because <laughs> I just think... Oh, I've been sending them deliberately with typos in. How's that gone? People respond. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Here's and an people respond one for you. and they get through spam filters. So Using what- thank you increases reply rates by 20%. Mental. That's not a little percentage. That's just nuts, isn't it? That's twenty percent. Using thank you. Yes. Thank you. Amazing. That is bonkers. Always be testing, he says. Yeah. Well, I've I've highlighted the same bit. No sequence should ever be set, set and forget. forget. Yeah. Always be A/B testing, refining, remediating, learning for your next campaign. And then what he talks about is prospecting with exotic business. Have you underlined what? Have you underlined WhatsApp? Well, it's funny. I've started using a bit of WhatsApp. Well, that client I was just talking about a minute ago, that's all she uses. She WhatsApps me all the time. She calls me on WhatsApp, yeah. sends you messages. I'm finding WhatsApp's becoming more and more of a platform for me. I don't use it. I know a lot of candidates do get messages through WhatsApp. Oh, it's very convenient because you can leave it on your desktop. I don't do that, obviously, but... So you can just leave it on your desktop open next to Teams and text and email, but it is very convenient. And it's another place where you can throw another triple, isn't it? Yes, I do agree, yeah. I mean, I, yeah you know, I, if you're I, throwing a triple, right, I've messaged you on LinkedIn, I've left a voicemail for you, mm. I've left a text for you, and do you know what? Let's call it a quadruple. I'm going to send you a WhatsApp message whilst I'm at it. And do you know what? I'm going to message you on Facebook Messenger. Someone's yes. going to either tell you to go away or return your call, aren't they? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's, I'll put it in red. Generally in the book, I, stuff I like I highlight in yellow, stuff I don't like I highlight in red. But I did think to myself, I'm going to have to get into that. Yeah, he says, for mid-funnel progression to bottom-funnel closing, we highly recommend WhatsApp. Fair enough. He says, text messaging is very strong for top-of-funnel opening and also the very bottom of the funnel. What is interesting is how many clients and candidates I do communicate via WhatsApp now. I, I communicate That guy in the AP automation WhatsApp. space, yes. who we've done some good business with this year, he communicates with me exclusively on WhatsApp. My, my top client, she does, yes. Right. Absolutely the same. Although I do a lot via text. I mean, I know he mentions text here in terms of I'd canvassing. I'd be interested to know how many people use text or how many people would use text as part of their canvassing. And I, think business te- I think you use text if you've got a Mac. Easy on a Mac to you do a text, isn't but it? But I'm sure it's easy if you've got a PC and an Android device. Oh, do you reckon you can It'll do that? It'll be just as easier. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's really easy on a Mac, isn't it? You can just sit there. Literally, I just sit there texting all day on the Mac. I do, yeah. I use a lot of text. But you never pick up your phone, you just do Well, he puts here, what's stopping you from texting everyone in the mid to the lower funnel? Might seem like a very bold move, but it cuts through in a way that email just can't. It does. Do you, do you think other people are frightened of using it? Don't know. I don't know. I'd be interested. That'd be an interesting poll. We see sellers passively hide behind email, and that's a mistake. If a prospect has expressed interest, feel free to move things forward with a text. You'll be amazed at the increased efficiency. That'd be a good poll, that, Alex, to find out whether people are using SMS as part of their daily selling stack. I don't use it as outbound very much, actually. I use it as part of a triple sequence. I've got to tell you, with, with canvassing... With people that I want to return my call... Canvassing is so easy at the minute. People yeah. answer the phone. If I'm not getting a return call, I'll use SMS with video as I part of my triple. I don't like using it. Uh, but I get I, return calls, though. Yeah, I don't like using it. I think it gives you too easy an out. I think you can too yeah, easily... it's very easy for them to respond via SMS saying, Hi, mate. Thanks. I did get all your messages, but I'm not hiring right now. Call me in That's why I don't send texts. And, and I did love the book Combo Prospecting, and I do like this. But, but I you, find- do, you do get a couple that come back to you saying no. Then you get a few where they pick up the phone, but oh, I've got all your messages. You're, I just persistent. I, I don't use it. I think um, percentage-wise, it's a bad thing to do. Because if you take some of the clients, the, you, your only option is to talk to them. I actually don't even really like emailing them. Because I think you can very easily get bummed off on an email. Role of, then he talks about the role of Twitter. Question, another poll. Here's a good one for you, Alex. Do you use Twitter? I don't know anyone who uses Twitter. So the guys apart was... from my mate Gav, who is sort of a bit of a cheese. Is he Gav the Rhino? Yeah, he's a bit of a cheese in the rugby league Twitter community. Right. Other than Gav, I don't know 
anybody who tweets. I was talking to one of my other clients, actually, and Darish got talking about all this kind of stuff, and he was saying he uses Instagram a lot. Go on, tell me more about how he uses Instagram. Well, I not to canvas, he just says he's on Instagram a lot, so I do wonder whether Instagram's a channel that we could be using. I don't know how Alex it, and I are talking about that this morning. I don't know how it works, that, you know, that kind of thing, but I think a lot of people are on Instagram. My wife is glued to it. I like Insta. I, I've, I've not got an account. Insta snap. So chapter 10, we're going on a bit here, Johnny. We are. I mean, we've been sat here go, going at it for an hour. because it's, it's a good book, Pricey. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, that's true. Closing sales is just the act of securing a commitment to buy, which is not too dissimilar to closing on the first commitment, which is the agreement to give you their time and information for discovering qualification. There is no such thing as a good opener and a good closer. If you can't close for time, you can't close a seven-year, multi-year contract through an F1000 procurement department. And I made a note here which said, all this is dependent on getting SDRs who can get their head around it or who will get involved in it properly. Or getting a CXO who will get involved in it a bit. He's got another chapter here about advice AEs and SDRs working together, which is interesting. I think that will be a very different world in the years to come. The AE-SDR thing. Because I actually think the role will amalgamate into one. Uh, I don't know. In a lot of companies. I I can see a lot of different variations, really. You know, could could you get an AE with just mega mega gear who doesn't need an SDR? Yeah. Well, he's saying here, how to be a full cycle seller, no SDR required. Number one, effective time management. Number two, automate everything. Hey, John. 172. Automate everything you can. Meeting scheduling, email, call, meeting logging. Use a sales engagement platform like Groove to always keep Salesforce up to date in the background with ever having to leave places they live, like Inbox, LinkedIn, Sales, now have mobile phone. He says, full stack sellers are all about building meaningful relationships, which is why automation requires the ability to write meaningful, personalized email at scale. To craft meaningful one-to-one communications, you need a platform to surface real-time information from the CRM system in the on-box so you don't have to waste time application switching to figure out what to write, which is fair enough. Um, And he's sort of pushing groove a little bit. Remote work and closing business purely over Zoom. Uh, I'm not really that interested in that, to be honest. Anybody who doesn't know how to make use of video calls now and do good quality video calls, I think is a complete halfwit. Completely agree. Do you know what I mean? I went into a video call with a, a candidate the other day and I was stunned that his light, I know it sounds like I'm being pedantic, but his light was behind him, not in front of his face. Yeah, yeah. And he was sort of half silhouetted. That's why he's a candidate though, isn't it, Jonathan? Because he didn't sell anything. And he was using a computer that clearly had a shit camera on it. I was just like, oh, come on. 1997 called. Once it's candidate back. Do you remember when we first started doing video interviews? We used to send people a video. We used to send people a camera. We used to actually send people cameras in the post. I know. Because it was easier than getting them to come to see us. And people were like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, when was that? 2010? I don't know. No, I think it was about 2011. We were buying video cameras. Yeah. Hundreds of them at a time. And what our view was, well, it's eight ninety nine for a video camera, three ninety nine for postage. Would you pay that to get a good candidate on board? Yeah. Oh, he says it here. Make sure you have uh, you have lighting behind your screen camera instead of behind your head. Bloody well. It's just a no brainer, but people still don't do it. It's bonkers that people haven't got their heads around. You know, you meet people. I met a guy the other week. I actually went to a meeting the other week with a prospect that I walked away from. And there was three recruiters in the call. And the guy from Michael Page had his camera below his nose. You could see, I could basically see up his nose. Nice. Literally, I could see his nose has. Nice. But you think, what are you doing? Well, what are Michael Page doing? Yeah, it's not, it's not like he's a small business, that, is it? No, it, what's his, well, does his boss know that you can see up his nose? It was bonkers. ABP, always be prospecting. Yeah, he's right. And then you've got, what page are you on now? 180? 175. So we're sort of getting to the end of the book now. If it's good enough for world-class pilots to develop their TQ, why not you? Find the folks in your company who are power users of modern sales stacks. Ask them for hacks and techniques. Shadow them on the setup, the sequences of the next Salesforce HubSpot and Marketo sales pipeline. Mm. I think that 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 will change a bit. And then he talks about TQ for recruiting. You don't need to tell us that much. We're pretty into it, to be honest. What's interesting is how many sort of specialist companies there are in recruiting that are just doing what outreach are doing. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I, I tend to look into it every now and then. He said, the best sellers will be attracted to companies that have a platform that feeds the sales opportunity funnel. It will be interesting. You know, you talk about clients interviewing candidates about their TQ. I think the smart candidates will start interviewing the clients. Well, he says, hey, if you're in sales today, I would only work for companies that heavily invest in sales operations and sales technology. Yeah. 
and often they do say, oh, what's your marketing like? But I think people will get more precise. They'll get more into, just walk me through your tech stack that you're using at the top of the funnel. Oh, well, we've got Salesforce. What I think, else have I you think got? young people, and I think if Honey Price joined a technology company in 12 years, she'd ask that. Yeah, that would be a question in an interview. Yeah, and if you didn't answer that, she just won't work for you. Yeah, that will become a candidate interview question with the smart candidates, which will be, what is your tech stack for, for top of the funnel lead generation? Can I agree? Break it down into... Because into in fairness, you know, one of my other clients that I do a lot of work with, they're very clear about the support they offer people, and they will say, it's all there. We'll train you how to use it, but you've got to use it. But they've got a brilliant tech stack. Have they? Really, really good, yeah. Really, really good. Right. In fairness to them. Fair play. And then in many respects, that kind of brings us to the end of the book. He does this thing on a day in the life of tomorrow. We kind of look, talked about what tomorrow looks like, haven't we? I, I would say from this book that for me, I'll just read this final chapter, actually. He says, we believe one third of current field sales roles will disappear in the 2020s. Yes, you read that right. 33%. Expensive people who add little value and fail to create the sales pipeline needed to fund themselves are doomed. It's sad but real. Leaders will become the closers rather than expensive Sir Lunch-a-Lot relationship sellers. Empathy combined with business acumen and an insight-laden consultative approach is now a mandatory requirement. The days of the road warrior are gone. Do you think the days of the road warrior are gone? I would say decreasing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, as we go to press, we're coming off the back of one of the most important world conferences of all time on climate change. I think people are going to start to think long and hard. And, you know, you talk about Honey Price coming into the sales profession. Honey is going to turn around to an employer and say, you want me to drive to London and burn fuel? Yes, she is, yeah. Are you right in your head? That's right. what the kid's going to say. In yes, two, going to be what, she's going to be conscious of my the carbon footprint. Say, my daughter's going to say the same thing. You want me to what? Drive to a meeting? Fly to America? Are you having a laugh? Yeah, of course. I completely agree. So I, I think they're just going to flat refuse these kids. I do think that, though, actually, myself. And I hope they do. It's interesting. When I went to the Northwest last week, even me, at the age of 43, I purposely got the train, even though it would have been more convenient to drive, because I thought to myself, I just don't want to be one person sat in my car on the motorway. My mate said to me on Saturday morning, he said, we've made a decision as a family that we're not going to fly anywhere anymore unless we absolutely 100% have to. And they're driving on the, they're going to Italy in the summer, they're driving in an electric car. Yes. Um, he said, we're done flying, we're not. We're not doing it. We're not. Oh, and they've stopped eating red meat. That's pressure from his daughter, who's nine. We're not far off there. We've got a few holidays next year that were actually as if we had booked during lockdown that have all just sort of stacked up. But you look at the carbon you footprint. Have, you? Yeah, going Lapland, Turkey, and America. Yeah. <laughs> Bad carbon footprint, that, isn't it? I'm glad we've got someone starting to run your desk, so I don't have to do it. <laughs> but point being is getting back to it, you know. Are the days of the road warrior dead? Yeah, I think they are. I think it's so old-fashioned. I, 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 look, I, think I look now at they, people on LinkedIn. I know we've come into the office today to do this, but literally this is the first time we've done I rode this. my bike here. You've ridden your bike. And to be fair, I have driven an electric car here. But I think in the fullness of time, I'm looking at a lot of people at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant to be back out in the office. Brilliant to be back on the plane. I just look and thinking, do you really need to be there? Completely agree. Really? And I think that's one of the reasons the days of the road warrior are gone. Plus the tech is so good now. You know, I haven't seen a major upgrade from Teams, but Teams is definitely better. It, it was always behind Slack was Teams when the pandemic hit. But you Slack know, were just miles ahead. But you know, the video meet, the, it's just better. We've all got better setups at home. We yeah. know, it, well, look at that camera. I can use that as a webcam. Oh, I mean, big lens, big sensor, lovely mic. I can create high quality, very present video calls yeah, correct. at home for not that much money. And we all can. And I think the days of the Road Warrior are probably gone. I, 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 I also think there's an inefficiency to being on the road, isn't there? It takes two hours to get there and two hours to get back. Ridiculous. It's absolutely... It's expensive, carbon damaging. It's bonkers now. Garbage. You look at it and think, well, <laughs> why would I do that? Even today, this feels like a really extravagant thing to do, to come into the office. Yes, I mean, like I say, I came on my bike, so I can be all sanctimonious about it. But I did come on my bike. Yeah. Let's just wrap up then. So, SDR of the future will be an orchestrator of tools, a manager of messaging to drive sales bots that deliver leads at scale. They won't have to worry about who to target anymore because the CRM AI will no longer be static. It will automatically deploy crawlers to harvest and analyze not only your sales team's own data, but also to reach out and do lookalike pulls across the broader internet, capturing trigger events, buying sentiment, and finding other relevant information. We'll then go out and drive opening conversations and set meetings with the precision of an atomic clock. 
The technology itself will handle that back and forth, even pinging reminders the day of the hours before to ensure the prospect shows up. That's the reality, isn't it? It is. So here's one. I mean, he, he does mention this, and I have been thinking it for a while on page 200. What's going to happen when the buyers have got their AI as well? Yes, to combat our AIs. So do we just leave them to it? Because you look at trading, you look at the stock market. The AIs just trade with each other all day. Yeah, yeah. I think the percentage of human trades is just minute Yeah, in yeah. comparison to how much goes on with the AIs. Mm, mm. I think that's how it'll be. I do think that there needs to be regulation. How do you regulate that? Well, I'm reading a book at the moment called The Rationalist Guide to the Galaxy by Tom Chivers, which is all about AI and how AI could either lead us to a golden age of humanity or kill us. He talks about this concept of the paperclip theory, which is if you program an AI to make paperclips, it will make paperclips. It will keep making paperclips until it has colonised every planet in the universe to make paperclips. Yeah. Because it thinks its job is paperclips. And there are other examples. I think we have to be very careful about unabated use of the technology. And I think that anybody that hasn't thought deeply about the philosophical implications of artificial intelligence is probably a little bit dim um, in the current environment. What has surprised me the most by that poll is how unclued up people are, irrespective of the fact that there is so much AI already in their lives. Yes, I completely agree with that. That's blown my mind, actually. Yeah, it's amazing how ignorant they are to it. Incredible. I I heard something very interesting a while ago that said, where this guy was talking about safety on the internet, and he said, if you take a bridge that's built by a civil engineer... Their first thought is safety. That's the first thing we're thinking about. He said, if you take software that's designed by computer engineers, their first thought is user interface. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting way of looking at it? Yes. We don't think about safety. We think about hooking them in. Correct. Addictive. We don't think about safety. We just say hooking them in. And then 20 years later, we'll worry about safety. And that's one of the primary problems with, you know, let's get right. We do fairly well out the IT industry, so it's not like I'm turning completely left on it. But actually... The IT industry is here to make money, and it makes money by keeping users using it. And AI is like that, isn't it? You know, if the AI isn't being used by the client, the AI software company won't make any money. And I actually think that health and all of those bits where people are saying, well, will AI kill us inevitably? Of course it will. It can't not, can it? Because AI is about usage. Well, read that book, Rationalist Guide to the Galaxy. It's really, really... Is it going to be on Book Club? Because if it's not, I'm not going to. Do you know, it's a book I think we probably possibly should talk about. I mean, it's a bit more about the philosophy behind AI, but I do think it's a book that our... We've got another book we're starting anyway, haven't we? Have you started that book? God, it came on Saturday. He's a properly top guy, this guy. And I was reading it thinking, you're a top guy, this book must get better. We'll have a chat about that later. It might be that we need to change books. Because I did read the first two, three pages and thought, oh God, this is going to be dreadful. I've read about 30% of it now. Have you? Mm-hmm. You've, got, you're, you've got on with it. You mm-hmm. know me, I'll just cram read it. Anyway, in, in, in are we at the, the end show. of our book? I think we're at the end of the book. Pricey marks out of 10. Nine. Where's it missing the one? It's missing the one because I'm not going to do a lot of it. But it's got the nine because I think you're just foolish not to read it, which is anything. Nine for me, it's the best book we've done. Unfair advantage. Most useful. This is the most important. If you've not read this book, mm. not because it's a great book. Not because you're necessarily going to do it, but you've got to know it's out there. If you don't know this is out there, if you've not read this book and understood this is where we're going and given it heavy thought as a sales professional, you are... oh, Just insane. You, you, you're not well in the you, head. You yet. need to not get a mortgage. Yes, don't get a mortgage. Don't borrow any money. Don't use your credit cards. If you haven't read this, I'm not saying you've got to do it. But you do have to have read it. If it's not part of your thought process as as a professional, yeah, don't get a mortgage, don't get a credit card, don't buy a car, don't do anything. Just save every penny. Just save every penny because in five years you'll need it. You're going to need it, yeah, you'll be out of work. I think so, yeah. Yeah, great. Goodbye. Goodbye.